What's up, everybody? It's Jaren from the Hockey Podcast Network's newest show, the Windy City Benders Podcast. My co-host Tanner and I bring our unique takes on Blackhawks hockey. Us on this show have been a, a pro Carlton guy. for He's the right coach for the situation. Giving it to our rivals. That's one of the things that kind of sucks. I wish we would have had the Blues in our division this year because our trash. As well as bringing in some guests from the NHL. Please welcome to the show, goaltender Scott Darling. The Eagle himself, Ed Belfort. Brian Bickle. David Boland. Letter Kenny. The, the show started out with uh, basically a, a beer league hockey team. And anybody who loves the game. Find us on all your favorite podcast apps, the Hockey Podcast Network website, and on social media at WCB Podcasts. How is it going, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Avs It Is podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's that time of year again. Conference tournaments are tipping off and bubble teams are making their final push for a bid while the top seeds are preparing for what they hope is a long run. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog and win $256 if they win. It's that simple. All you have to do is bet $4 on an underdog in select college basketball games, and if they pull off the upset, you will be taking home $256. That is easy money. There is no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. But don't worry if college basketball is not for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions every single day on golf, hockey, and so much more. We all know the Colorado Avalanche have a very busy schedule coming up between now and the rest of the season. The busiest in franchise history. And if you want to get yourself even more invested in the action, DraftKings Sportsbook is the app for you. They are safe, secure, and reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience whenever you want. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. That's code THPN to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So two games against the Arizona Coyotes go into the books, and those were the two most frustrating games I have ever seen with my own two eyes in my entire life, and I can't name a close second. First game, the Coyotes win 3-2 despite getting nearly tripled in shots. The final shot total in the game, 35-14 in favor of the Avalanche. Arizona gets every single bounce their way. And the Avalanche win the second game, barely, but also not barely. 2-1 to one in overtime, out shooting the Coyotes, 46-14. to 14. No, you heard that right. 46 to 14 and they won 2 to 1 in overtime. Yes, the game just wrapped up here. And thank God they won this game because oh my god, was I frustrated. Was this entire fan base ever frustrated after first of all the last loss against Arizona? 35-14 in shots. Well, holding the Coyotes in both games to 14 shots, in back-to-back, back back, 14 shots in both games. First of all, that is absurd. It shows just how bad the Coyotes are offensively and how good the Colorado Avalanche are defensively. But shocking is the fact that they went 1-1 one one in this series, despite the fact that they outshot these guys, 81 to 28. 
what do you even say? What do you even say to that? Somehow Arizona manages to they win this series. They won this series because they got three points versus our two. So out of this two game series, they won. Yes, we split it, but they got the extra point out of that second game. I I don't I don't even have the words. And it's and for a while it's not anger at the Avalanche and how annoyed I am at how they're playing. They've played well in these two games. They got Nathan McKinnon back for the second game against Arizona. He was very noticeable. He was flying all over the ice. He had 10 shots on goal alone. Nathan McKinnon alone had four less shots than the entire Arizona Coyotes team. That is ridiculous. Gabe Landeskog had seven. Ryan Graves had six. Like, how how much did Rantanen had? Rantanen had two shots. So the top line of the Colorado Avalanche had 19 shots. The Arizona Coyotes in this second game had 14 how was this game even close? I can tell you why it was close. Auntie Ranta stood on his skull and brain in this game, stopping 39 of 41, no, 44 of 46 shots for a 957 save percentage. They were cutting to this guy on the bench in the third period, and he, he was chugging Gatorade like he was about to die, and he might have been. This guy was keeled over, like, dying for breath and just any kind of fluid. Because how does this happen? I, I cannot remember seeing a game so lopsided in shots on goal. Actually, this <laughs> I, didn't, I haven't looked at how the Oilers game turned out in terms of shots. But when I last checked, the Oilers had more goals than... The Senators had shots. There's no way that ended up holding. Okay, so this wasn't nearly as bad. The Oilers outshot the Senators 36 to 22, but there was a point that the Oilers, I believe, had five or six goals, and the Senators had like four or five shots on goals. So that ended up not being as bad as this. 46 to 14. I I hope someone is able to find the just if that has happened that a team has had so few shots and gave up so many like that the I have never seen that I've I watch a lot of hockey I like to think I have never seen 46 to 14 I thought last game was bad when we outshot them 35 to 14 and then we just put up 11 more and Auntie Ranta played out of his mind and he played out of his mind in both games he 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 ended up coming in for Darcy Kemper in the first game, because Kemper was screaming at the refs to stop the game because he was in so much pain, and he's apparently now out week to week. No one really knows what happened. And then Ranta comes in in the third period of a 3-2 lead for the Coyotes and faces 16 shots in 17 minutes of the third period and doesn't let in a single one. So Auntie Ranta, over the course of this two-game series, has ended up facing, what would that be? 62 shots and let in two goals, one at five on five, the other to Gabe Landeskog in overtime. What do you even say to that? This this was not Colorado versus Arizona. This was Colorado versus Auntie Ranta alone. The lone goal for Arizona in this game came from Tyler Pitlick on a tap-in that Grubauer had no chance on. Grubauer played well in this game. He had to stop some breakaways, surprisingly. It's not like the uh, the Coyotes just rolled over with shots from the point. He had to stop some breakaways in the third period. He finishes with 13 saves on 14 shots and a 929 save percentage, better than the 787 he had in the first game. I feel like I'm all over the place here because I really was convinced that they were going to lose this game. They score, the Avalanche scored a goal in the first 93 seconds of the game. Brandon Saad from Burakovsky, and it looks like things are just going to go much better, and then they just got nothing for the rest of the night. Five power plays for the Avalanche. They don't cash on a single one of them, mainly because Antiranta played out of his mind, but also because 
the power play just didn't look great out on a lot of portions, and they made it really easy for the Coyotes to kill it off over and over again. You know, and I know on previous episodes I've been ripping this team for inconsistency. Uh, these these two performances were remarkably consistent. They crushed these guys. They crushed the Coyotes in both of these games. And the fact that the Coyotes ultimately won this series with three points versus our two, it just shows that analyzing hockey is just, it, there's no point. No one, no one knows what's going on. Nobody knows what's happening here. No one can analyze this sport. We're just making all this up as we go. We just outshot a team over two games by over, like, 40. And they won the series. Hockey's a dumb sport. It's dumb to analyze. The puck is made of rubber, and it bounces all over the place. That's how they won the first game. Every single goal that the Arizona Coyotes scored in this series went off an avalanche player. They never once, out of the four goals that they scored, shot a puck cleanly past Philip Grubauer or even off one of their own sticks. It all went off a member of the avalanche at some point on its way to the back of the net. Like, you can, you cannot script that. That is all luck. So the Coyotes ultimately win the first game 3-2, to two, and everyone, well, freaked out about it because, oh, they lost again, and everyone still wrote it off as bad luck. This was a bad luck game. Arizona goes up 2-0 in the first period on, I don't remember the exact total, but it was no more than five shots. It might have even have been as, as little as three shots in the first period. They scored on two of them. The first shot goes off of Sam Gerrard's skate on a power play and slides perfectly through the five hole of Philip Grubauer. If that puck is a centimeter to the right or the left, he gets his pad down in time, but it is just a perfect strike right down the middle. Derek Brassard tries to do that 100 times. He fails 99 times. That one time... Nailed it. Right off the skate, right into the net. one nothing. Coyotes on the power play. Jacob Chikrin for the second goal takes a shot from the point. Grubauer screened. And this, this one I would have liked him to have. I feel like he had enough time to see. This is not, this is not a bad goal to give up, but it is, compared to the other ones, it was the, the one he should have had the most because the other ones were basically impossible. And it's 2-0 Coyotes in the first period, and it just looks like it's going to be that kind of night. But then, Valerie Nachushkin, who's been outstanding these last few games, and he was outstanding in this series against the Coyotes, gets his fifth of the season to make it a one-goal game. And Burakovsky snipes another one on the power play, and all of a sudden it's a tie game. We've beaten Darcy Kemper a few times, and it looks like we're on our way to another comeback like we did twice against the Ducks, even though the second game against the Ducks, we had a comeback, and then they come back, and that was a whole mess. And then the Coyotes, they get a goal in early in the third from Johan Larson after Ekman Larson takes a shot from the point. Of just another deflection, hits a member of the Avs, and then goes off of Larson and goes into the net. What can, what can you do? It was the Avalanche, in, or the Coyotes, what, like... 10th shot of the game, I believe, and they'd scored on three of them. No, it was, I remember, it was their ninth shot of the game, and it was the third period. They had eight shots before this one, and their ninth shot is their third goal of the game. And like I mentioned earlier, Kemper comes out of the game, Ranta comes in and makes 16 saves. Like, the, the Avalanche lit them up. Like, it's not like they just let them off the hook. They lit them up for 16 shots in 17 minutes, and he stopped all of them. The, like, I have never seen a stretch of games like this. These two games, I don't know if we'll ever see them again. I don't know if this is just how the Coyotes play hockey, but my God, I'm just, I don't know. I, I know. I knew they were like a poor team offensively and relied a lot on their goaltending but oh my god this these two games were a joke to watch 
the Avalanche kicked them up and down the ice and just could not beat the goalies. And Arizona gets three points out of it, and we get two. But ultimately, you can't be too concerned about what the Coyotes get out of this. We got two points out of the series, I guess. And we've gone now through four games of the nine-game homestand and are 2-1-1, and and out of those four games, none of those wins have come in regulation. Three of these games have gone to overtime, and the only one that didn't was the loss to the Coyotes the first time. So we can go now to the West Division standings, and it's, it's getting close, actually. I had not looked at this in a minute. This is getting close. So I'm going to look at points percentage because you can't judge a lot of this based on points. Actually, the games played is actually getting a lot closer than I would have thought. Vegas and San, Vegas and San Jose have played the least amount of games in this division at 23 apiece. The Avalanche have played 24. So they're not quite at the halfway point, but they'll be at the halfway point next week. So in first, points percentage-wise, is Vegas at a 717. Minnesota is in second. They beat Vegas twice in these last two games. 2-0 shutout, and the last one, I think they barely held on 4-3 with a hat trick from the Vegas defenseman whose name just completely slipped my mind. So Minnesota is at a 646 right now. They In their last 10, they are 7-2-1. And, and Colorado sits in third at 625. They have 30 points. They are 14-8-2. and They are 5-4-1 in their last 10 which, if you look at it, is third worst in the division, tied with Arizona for third worst in the division in their last 10. That's not good at all. And then St. Louis, technically second from points. They are actually fourth in points percentage at 615. Los Angeles at 560, Arizona at 538, San Jose at 457, and Anaheim at 407. Yeah, league-worst Anaheim, who we took to overtime twice and lost one of them, by the way. After the first game against Arizona, I wasn't mad at the result. I was mad because it just showed how important those games that we gave up were. Because these games happen for every team. Maybe not to this scale, but they happen where you just don't get a bounce your way and get goalied at the same time. It was there that I'm like, you really blew that game to Anaheim. You should have gotten the extra point out of that one. You blew that game to San Jose that you lost 6-2. to two. You let that game against the Wild get away from you. And you even go back earlier in the season. You blew that lead against the Kings. You blew that overtime loss to Minnesota. Like it's It was that game where the games that this team blew really started to take a toll because that's now a regulation loss that you could barely do anything about. But then before this win against Arizona tonight had them at 13 and 10, which is concerning for a team that was the cup favorite heading into this season. But ultimately, once I took a deep breath, they played well in the game. And they did a lot of the things that I asked them to do in the last episode. They looked like a team that was ready to start being consistent. Not to say they looked perfect because they didn't, but it looked better. And for a team without Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr, their literal two best players, they looked good and they played well. And they got hockeyed. Just terrible puck luck and got shut down by a great goalie. This one... If they lost this game, I would be missing a lot of chunks of hair on my head if after I would have ripped it out. I can't, I can't say this enough. 46 to 14 in shots. 46 to 14, and they won 2 to 1 in overtime. That is crazy to me that that happened. That's That's got to be the largest deficit I've ever seen. I know there's, I know there's more. There, at some point, more, a bigger shot deficit has occurred, but that's the biggest one I've ever seen, or at least that I can remember off the top of my head. If they lost this game, they're, 
this this would have been bad. This would have been really, really bad. At that point, you're 13 and 11, and Vegas is even though they lost all four points to Minnesota, they'd still be pretty healthily away from you, and you would have been tied with the Kings, who beat up on the Ducks tonight. Because the Ducks are not a very good team. Last I checked, beat them five to one. In fact, I think the first game against them was Ducks won six to five. Yeah. So the Kings scored five goals on the Ducks on back-to-back nights. How does that make you feel after losing to them and going to overtime with them twice? And now you got the Kings coming up next, who are surprisingly beating up on a lot of teams. I'm sure that'll be fun. I'm sure there's not more frustration with this team coming up then. Oh man, this team this season, this is this is a mess, man. This is a mess. Yes, they got the win tonight against Arizona. It wasn't pretty and they deserved to win it a lot more than 2 to 1 in overtime. If what if if Antti Ranta played average tonight, this game would have been 6 to 1 and they would have crushed him and ran him out of the building. But they got the two points and you can't be concerned about Arizona because they shouldn't be a threat to you. If Arizona ever becomes a threat to you, that's not because of Arizona. It's because of you and the fact that you suck. So let's not get to that point, huh? This team has still issues to figure out, but they got Nathan McKinnon back tonight. And while he ultimately didn't get on the board, 10 shots on goal is nothing to sneeze at. He played 24 minutes tonight most of any forward in his first game back in over a week. Sam Gerrard played 29 minutes. That man is... If it wasn't for Sam Gerrard, this team would have cratered without Kale McCarr. He has stepped up in a big way, and he he isn't Kale McCarr, and he never will be. Kale McCarr is just a different animal. Sam Gerrard is doing more than enough to keep this team afloat. I mean, it is him and Devon Tays just holding this defense up, and God damn it, if they aren't doing one of the best defensive jobs I have ever seen in my entire life. Yes, Arizona's not a good offensive team. I feel like I've said that five times, but to hold a team, an NHL team, to 14 shots is crazy in back-to-back nights, and they're missing half of the defense. They're, they're playing Dan Renuff, for God's sakes. They're playing Greg Patteron. Like, Jacob McDonald is playing 16 minutes a night. And, like, Ryan Graves, while he is one of the regulars on this team, played almost 20 minutes. They are holding the fort, and they are holding this Avalanche team up. If, it, if one of Gerard Ortiz goes down before anyone on this defense comes back, we are screwed. And those guys are never going to get the recognition they deserve once Makar comes back because it's, it's just going to be forgotten. They're not going to get any awards for it. They're not going to be talked about. They're not even being talked about now how they're holding this team up. I mean, the Avalanche, according to Evolving Wild, you look at their expected goals against, they're third best in the league right now. You'd, you would expect that to be cratering right now with how meant, with how much defense we've been missing lately the only teams better than them in expected goals against over 60 this is according to evolving hockey are the montreal canadians and the dallas stars the avalanche have a 1.9 expected goals against over 60 and that's better than team that's better than the new york islanders who are a notably very good defensive team last i checked They've, they've quietly been one of the best defensive teams in the league, and they have done it with a decimated blue line. Like, not to say that Sam Gerrard's going to win a Norris or that Devontae's is going to win a Norris for their performances this season, but my God, that is incredible to see. Without Makar, without Byram, without Johnson, missing Connor Timmins, they are carrying a guy like Dan Renouf and carrying Greg Patteron, Jacob McDonald. We have four guys in the lineup on emergency loans. Patteron, Timmons, who is hurt, Jacob McDonald, and Dan Renouf. All emergency loans. 
and this team is still top three in expected goals against over 60. What do you even say to that? You look at their shots against over 60, and they are second best in the league, only behind the Bruins. And I just lost it, but they 24.9 shots against over 60. So basically shots per game. That's that's unbelievably good. And that has not that that stat has nothing to do with Grubauer. That is just defense alone. They're expected expected goals plus minus over 60. They are third behind Montreal and Minnesota. Like analytically defense analytically on defense, this team is outstanding. And you're looking at that without any of their stars. They're missing Kale McCarr, and they look like that. And Kale McCarr, as we know, is no slouch defensively. He may be known for his offense, but his defensive analytics are outstanding. And my God, Sam Gerrard, we are so blessed to have this guy in our lineup. Just unbelievably blessed. And the Devon Tays trade, I said it at the time. I've said it throughout the season. That is one of the best moves that Joe Sackick has ever made without it being a Matt Duchesne trade. And speaking of the Matt Duchesne trade, guess where Sam Gerrard came from? Came from the Matt Duchesne trade, and we did, and we not even from the team we traded Matt Duchesne to, just because, just because Joe Sackick is a wizard, and hopefully, I'm going to talk about the trade deadline coming up in a little bit, and hopefully he can continue those ways once the trade deadline rolls around, because God knows we need a few things right now on the back end. But to wrap up about these two games. What else do you even say about them besides that is some of the most bizarre luck I have ever seen in hockey? Arizona got all of it, and the Avalanche got none. None whatsoever. They did not get a bounce whatsoever. Arizona got every single bounce. They got every single save. There was a save made by Antti Ranta in the third period of that second game on Valerie Nishushkin, where Nishushkin... Antti Ranta goes and he's diving across. He's holding the glove out to make the save and the puck is nowhere near his glove. It completely beats him and it hits him in the back foot. He didn't stick his foot up to make the save. He didn't stick it out. He's, that's, his foot just slid across and happened to be in the way of the back of the net just by pure luck. And that honestly just described the, that entire two-game set. Yes, Nachushkin should have lifted that shot, but... How? <laughs> how do you, how does that happen? How does that even happen? So the Avalanche, fortunately, they don't blow both games against Arizona. They manage to get two points out of a series that they should have gotten four in and would get four out of 99 times out of 100. I mean, they this was what happened in the playoff series last year when Darcy Kemper stood on his head for some of the games. Like, the Avalanche eventually broke through, and Arizona couldn't score. The difference here was that we couldn't break through at all, and Arizona just got lucky and found a way to somehow score four goals. And we saw what happened in games four and five when the dam completely broke, and we outscored them 14-2. to that, Those games were not an accident. Those are what happens when Arizona ices mediocre goalies against the Avalanche, or at least when Darcy Kemper plays like a mediocre goalie. And yes, this was Antti Ranta tonight, but my god, we are, so, we are so laughably better than the Coyotes, and it's crazy that they won this series. That we lost a regulation game in this series, and they stole another point in the other game. We are so much better than Arizona. So much better. It just makes it all the more frustrating to... This this stretch is just getting more and more frustrating every single day. Every single game, this stretch just gets more and more frustrating. So now upcoming on Friday... And Sunday, we have matchups against the Kings coming up. 
And like I said earlier, the Kings are not a joke. They are a decent hockey team right now. And if the Avalanche come in with the attitude that they're going to beat these guys easily, they will not. And they will lose these games too. You have to win both of these games. There is no more margin for error on this homestand. You have gone to two overtime games against the Ducks and got smited by the hockey gods against Arizona. You have to win these games. You are running out of time. We are almost halfway through this season, and we have yet to win three games in a row. Let's go, guys. Let's pick it up a notch. It's time to get it done. I don't care if the Kings are being competitive. You should beat the Kings. You should beat Arizona. You should beat Anaheim. You should beat San Jose. And you should beat the Los Angeles Kings. Like I, I mean it. If they, if I'm recording again on Sunday, and oh, looks like fortunately this game on Sunday is a little earlier, so maybe I can record after that one for a change, like I'm doing for this one, even though it's late tonight. But if I'm recording on Sunday, and there are not four points in the books, I am not going to be happy. This is the easiest stretch of the entire season, and three of the games have gone to overtime, and the one that didn't, we lost in regulation. And we lost one of those overtime games, too. Consistency needs to happen at some point. You have McKinnon back, and just you figure out the rest. I, I don't know what else to tell you. They got unlucky in these two games. The excuses have to end eventually, right? You... If this happens three times in a row, it's not luck. First time is bad luck. Second time is absolutely ridiculous. I've never seen this before. Third time, it's not luck. You have to beat the Kings and beat them badly. Because at some point, you got to prove you're a contender. Because you haven't. That's what I've talked about before. This team has not proven that they are Stanley Cup contenders yet, and these two performances against Arizona prove nothing. They proved the team got unlucky. They didn't prove anything. They went one and one. You have to prove it at some point. You have to beat the Kings both times, beat the Ducks after that, and then beat the Wild twice. You, I fully expect you to go 4-0 on this next stretch. 4-0. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, there can't be anything more, but like nothing less than 4-0. I won't even accept an overtime loss. You need to win these games. Like, enough screwing around. It's time to just get the job done, man. Or, I'm sorry, 5-0. and oh, I miscounted. I'm not good at math. You need to go 5-0 and oh in these games and just rack up 10 points. You're playing the Kings twice, you're playing the Ducks once, and you're playing the Wild twice. And I don't want to hear it that the Wild are playing well right now. So th that's all the more reason you should go to beat them twice. They embarrassed you the last time you played them. All the more reason to go out and beat them back and get those critical four points in the last two games of the homestand and get some goddamn ground and start competing for first place and secure a playoff spot because this team is going to make the playoffs. But when I checked the standings a few minutes ago, I won't lie, it made me sweat a little bit seeing... L.A., Arizona, and St. Louis that close to us. I won't lie. I was like, oh, that is closer than I thought. So it's time to pick it up and time to just figure it out and put some consistent performances together and look like the team we were promised because this is the floor with this team. The performances we've been seeing are the worst we're going to see from this team. This is the worst this team can play. It's still pretty good if that's your worst. So it's time to start climbing the mountain and start to see our best because, like I've said, this team has more to give. But moving on now, one thing I wanted to talk about today was the trade deadline. Trade deadline is getting closer every single day. By the time this is up tomorrow, it will be just a day over a month away. April 12th is the trade deadline for the NHL this season. So what are the Avalanche going to do before or when trade deadline day comes? Well, they're going to get a goalie. I think we know that much 
already. They're probably going to get one soon, or at least I hope so. If there's anything I think about Joe Sackick is that he's not just going to continue to neglect this, or at least I would hope not. Guy's proven to be a very smart GM, so hopefully something can get done with that sooner than later. I mean, who would even be available on the market right now? You look at rental goalies. You're not going to get a goalie that has another year on his contract in all likelihood. More likely than not, you're going to go and make a deal for someone who expires at the end of the season just so you don't have that extra money on the books and you just signed Francois to a decent extension. So who would really even be available on the market right now? So you look at the upcoming free agents for goalies, and to be honest, they're, they're not really names that you should like go crazy about. Well, one of the names on the list is Philip Grubauer, who expires at the end of this season. I think that'll be a very interesting contract situation to follow, one that does not get talked about enough. That he could potentially walk at the end of the season, or even if he doesn't walk, get a raise at the end of the season because he deserves it and someone's going to pay him if we don't. But in terms of making a deal, what are even any realistic options right now? The name that always comes to my head is Ryan Miller. And I know Ryan Miller is ancient. I mean, he's 40 years old, which is very old for a goalie. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist isn't even 40. Ryan Miller's been around for ages. I, I don't even remember when Ryan Miller was drafted. But Ryan Miller was drafted in 1999 in the fifth round by the Buffalo Sabres. He played his first game in 2002. My God, he's still playing today. Obviously, we lost to him last week in the 5-4, lost to the Ducks. And I think he could be a solid third goaltending option and a backup goalie while Francois is out, which seems to me to be the majority of the season. But even when Francois is back, whether that's in a month or two months or not until the playoffs or not at all, you still need a solid third goalie this season. I think we have more than seen that you need a solid third goalie, not just from the Hunter-Miska situation. You look around the league. I mean, you look at Washington. They lost Ilya Samsonov for basically a month and, Hen and Henrik Lundqvist. Henrik Lundqvist didn't even play a game this season because of his pre-existing heart condition that he fortunately seems to be getting better from. So Washington came into the season with... We're assuming they were going to go into the season with Ilya Samsonov and Henrik Lundqvist, and two weeks into the season, they were down to Vitek Vanacek and Craig Anderson. And they went out and made a move to get Craig Anderson before the season after finding out Lundqvist couldn't go. But the point was, they had a solid third goalie that they could turn to, and it turns out Vanacek is actually really good. And they are able to keep him around as a 1B or even a 1A at times to Samsonov now that Samsonov is back. They started Vanacek for about 14 games. And you look at the Avalanche, and they don't have any goaltending options outside of Hunter Miska. I've talked about it in depth before. So let's just say I'm completely making this up. Let's say Pavel Frantzos is back in a month. He comes back after the trade deadline and he's healthy and ready to go, and the Avalanche have their 1-2 back in net. You're still going to need a solid third goalie, especially as we get late into the season, and especially once we get into the playoffs. Now, the, the argument I hear is that, well, you're not going to care about your backup and your third goalie when you get to the playoffs. And they're completely serious when they say that. It seems we all have forgotten the playoff series against Dallas where we were starting Hunter Miska in the most important games of the season, elimination games against Dallas because we lost both Grubauer and Franzos. Now, not to say that we lost that series because of Michael Hutchinson, but if Grubauer is healthy in that series, there's a very good shot we win it. I mean, Hutchinson did force a Game 7, and it went to an overtime in Game 7, and if maybe you get one more save in Game 7, maybe we win that series, and who knows what happens after that. So, 
yeah, sometimes your third goalie does matter in the playoffs. And we saw it as soon as last season, and we're seeing throughout this entire season that, yeah, your third goalie does actually matter. It might not have mattered in other seasons, but even in another season, this still would have been the case where Frantzos is out, regardless of the whole taxi squad situation. So you need to go out and get somebody with NHL experience, somebody who can just come in and just simply stop pucks. Because this team, when Hunter Miskus starts, is terrified of letting a shot get through. And with cause, because sometimes when a shot gets through to Miska, it just goes past him. And that just can't happen anymore. You need to be able to stop pucks and be able to make a big save every now and again. And I brought up Ryan Miller, and yeah, he's ancient, 40 years old, 891 save percentage, which is not at all very good. So why, why would I want this guy if he's not even that good? Well, Ryan Miller, for one, is one of the cheaper options. He makes $1 million against the cap, and his contract expires after this season. And once Frantzos comes back, I mean, odds, odds are, hopefully, we don't have to see Ryan Miller in net again, but like I was just saying, you can't have had that experience you had last year in the bubble, and now, during this entire season with Frantzos out, still just act like this isn't a problem you don't have to deal with. And Ryan Miller can at least bring that stability enough to stop pucks and get the job done to the point that this team can get a win. Because this team doesn't need fantastic goaltending to succeed. When when they're at their best, that is. When they're not at their best, they need Grubauer to bail them out some nights. But if Grubauer's not playing, you're not going to get that anyway. And if the team doesn't show up in front of the goalie, it doesn't really matter that much how the goalie does. So I like Ryan Miller as an option. I think you can get him for cheap. One of the tricky things with the Avalanche at this trade deadline is the fact that they traded two second-round picks already for Devontae's, which is a good thing. That's a fantastic trade. But if you're going to go out and buy at the deadline, what are you going to give up? Because obviously you're not going to get anyone for free. So you look at this year's upcoming draft, the 2021 draft for the Avalanche. They have their own first. They have their own third and rounds five through seven, they have their own picks. So they have five picks in the draft. They don't have their second or their fourth round pick. Now, just using the Ryan Miller trade as an example, I think a third round pick would ultimately be enough to get him out of Anaheim. But is that a move that you even want to make? Because then at that point you have your first and then you don't pick again till the fifth round. And is Ryan Miller worth a third round pick? Are you giving up a third round pick just for security? You know, the list the list goes on and on and on. So I'd be interested to see what Joe Sackick actually does at the deadline. Obviously, they have more assets than just their draft picks. I don't I wouldn't see anyone on the main roster really going unless there's a deal to be made. I, I, I could see maybe JT Kompfer being traded, but even then I'd put that like at not even above a 5% chance just because you don't, you don't really make those trades at the deadline if you're in a playoff spot unless you're selling a guy you just know you're not going to re-sign, and even then it happens very rarely. The only reason that you would do it is if you need to make salaries work because you're working on like a blockbuster deal. And I just don't see that happening this deadline. I mean, look at the guys I'm talking about. I'm looking at Ryan Miller as a third goalie, and you can't really afford many of these higher-end guys. If you want to look at some of the higher-end guys, an option like Jonathan Bernier could be an option. He's a much better goalie than Ryan Miller. He's a 9-10 on the lowly Red Wings. He does make $3 million against the cap, but they can retain half of that and make that $1.5. Even then, I think this third goalie situation is tricky because we just don't know the situation with Francois. Like, we, don't, we, do, we never get updates on injuries about this team ever at any point about anything. Like, Francois, we didn't know if it was going to be a few weeks 
at the start of the season and now it's turned into a few months and still the only update we have is not anytime soon so i don't like if Francois is not going to be back anytime soon then you need to go get a quality goalie but if he's not like if he's going to be back before the deadline which i doubt then maybe you do end up neglecting this or you find someone just ultimately doesn't matter that much maybe like a just even throwing something out like a Scott Wedgwood out of New Jersey or even something less than that. Like we could, here's an ideal Calvin Picard could bring him back out of Detroit. It's a very tricky situation with the third goalie and it all, it all hinges on Pavel Francouz. And I assume Joe Sackick has this information and I assume that he'll make a move accordingly. I just don't think that this is something that you can put off any longer than we already have because like I said last episode this is something that should have been dealt with in the offseason and I know you couldn't have predicted Francois to get hurt but other teams made moves to get a third goalie I mean you look at Toronto they went out and got Michael Hutchinson as a third goalie and now they have they can run three goalies with Anderson and Jack Campbell getting through their own injuries you know, and there just should have been a little more preparation for this. There, in the in the off season, there was talks that maybe Colorado would upgrade their goaltending. I heard that from Elliot Friedman before the season started, and I didn't agree with that. I didn't think they needed to, but I thought maybe you could just bring in something as like a insurance policy, and they never did. So now here we are, coming up on the deadline with one of our goalies potentially out for the entire season and has been out for the entire season so far and the amount of points that we've given up because of that negligence towards the position so frankly i don't really care that much when francois comes back because ultimately a move needs to be made here anyway it just it just depends on who if francois is coming back just a little bit after the deadline or even then, that might be too long. But let's say Francois is coming back the earliest he possibly can, whenever that is, I'll say in a month. Then maybe you don't get a Jonathan Bernier or Ryan Miller or any of those guys. Maybe you get Calvin Picard from Detroit or so someone along those lines, someone that is just not really being used, like, but someone who can play and hold the line for a little bit if Francois is out for a while comes back just before the playoffs or for the playoffs or not at all then you look at a Jonathan Bernier trade or maybe even something better than that there's there's always there's always something they can figure out something there are going to be teams that are selling it's going to be a buyer's market because there's just not a lot of high-end players on the market right now. And um, you you figure it out, and it all depends on Francois. But the options I like if Francois is out is Jonathan Bernier, 9, 10, and 13 games on the terrible Red Wings. You can make the salary work. And Ryan Miller out of Anaheim. I think Ryan Miller is ultimately a best-of-both-worlds scenario where he can hold the fort while Francois is out and then step back into that third role when Francois comes back as needed. I think that there's just a really good fit here, and I think there's a reason that my mind always goes to it. And it might be hard to pull off an in-division trade, but by the time the deadline starts to roll around, Anaheim, I think, is going to be pretty out of the playoff race at this point, unless they just miraculously have a turnaround you know, and just like I said, you don't need great goaltending. You just need enough to hold the fort and enough to let the skaters play confidently without having to be terrified of letting a shot get to the net. So that's, what, that's why I like Ryan Miller more than any of the other options, despite the fact that he's not great. And even if he's not great, 
he's gone after the season. Francois comes back. You don't lose anything. And if any, God forbid anything happens late in the season or in the playoffs, you don't have to put Hunter Miska back in the net. At least Ryan Miller has been there before and he's comfortable in his own net. Hunter Miska is not comfortable in his own net. Ryan Miller can at least just stop pucks. He's been on playoff runs before. Granted, it's been a long time before he has even played more than seven games in the playoffs, but he's played in them. And I think that can just help a lot. But I think enough about the goalie situation for right now. What about some more exciting options for the deadline for this Avalanche team? And I've thought about this a lot. What does this team even really need to do at the deadline? At some, one thing I brought up before the season was that you don't really need to do anything at the deadline at all because this team's just so deep. And now as the season's gone on, my opinion has changed a little bit. All the injuries this team has suffered through and everything. I mean, you, you look at the defense alone. Gerard, Taze, and Graves are the only guys on the defense right now that were supposed to be on the opening night roster. I know Connor Timmons opened as the opening night guy, but Eric Johnson's supposed to be the guy in that spot for him. So you've got three of your defenders that are healthy right now, and you just got Nathan McKinnon back. Matt Calvert's been hurt a lot, but he's back now. And you just, you've been dealing with it all season. You're still dealing with it with McCarr and Byram and everybody else, even Timmons at times now too. So what I think is that you, it wouldn't hurt to just get like a, like a little bit of everything. And it, that might not be possible just because like I was talking about with the, the trade assets and everything, and you don't want to just sell off draft picks like they're candy, but I just don't think it would hurt to just pick around the edges a little bit and not trade to outright replace players, but just get some more insurance, like like with the third goalie situation. Just more insurance to deal with all these injuries because I know every team gets injured and there's not a ton you can do about it at the end of the day. And a lot of the guys that have come up have done really well, but like we've even begun to dig into the Jason Megna well. 31-year-old at his peak is a maybe fourth liner in the NHL. Yeah, it's just not going to work as it gets later into the season and in the playoffs. I just think you need a little more. So as for one of the big swing, the biggest swing that I could see happening with this Avalanche team is getting a third line center because JT Comfer has not performed up to expectation this season. He's not been good for a large portion of it. And Tyson Jost has looked good, but just can't score on NHL goalies. I don't know how to explain it with him. He just, he looks good, but the results don't come. So I think this team could benefit if they're going to make a trade with another third line center. And one guy I like is Eric Stahl in Buffalo. Now Buffalo went out and got Eric Stahl from Minnesota to just shore up their center depth under Jack Eichel, give Jeff Skinner a familiar face. And the acquisition has not blown up in their face, but the team has blown up in their face. And it has nothing to do with Eric Stahl. Eric Stahl in 24 games, three goals, six assists, nine points. I think he could be a solid depth option for this team. Nothing special. He's not going to come in over McKinnon or Kadri, but just sticking him on the third line... I think just gives a little more stability because when, when McKinnon went down and he's back now, obviously we, we had to start putting Landeskog at center and Ranton in at center for a little bit. Like we're, we're, we're really just scraping the bottom of the barrel and Eric Stahl is, he's a fringe second line center. Even at 36, he's a fringe second line center in the league. And I think he would fit really well in that third line spot with the Avalanche. Like, let's say you put him between Nachushkin and Donskoy. You have a line of Nachushkin, Eric Stahl, and Jonas Donskoy. That's a that's a pretty friggin' great third line. It's just, you look at it right now, 
and I know there's injuries and everything, Comfort's out. So let's just, you plug Comfort back in. It just, it looks like a weakness right now. The bottom six center depth, because Comfort, like I said, has not been very good this season. Jost can't put pucks on net, and Belmar is Belmar. He's a fourth-line center. You're not expecting anything more out of him. Even, even with injuries, he's not going to come up in the lineup. So I think you go out and get Eric Stahl, and all of a sudden you now have McKinnon, Kadri, Stahl, and whoever you want as your fourth-line center. And you can put Comfort fourth-line center, move Belmar to the wing, or take Belmar out of the lineup, like whatever. You, you just have more flexibility. And let's say another injury comes with the team, and now you got to put Eric Stahl up on the second line. Well, he has experience doing that too. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Eric Stahl put up 41 goals as a member of the Wild. And he's He's been remarkably good for his age. He put up 42 goals in 2018, and then 22 goals the year after, 19 the year after, and so far three goals in 24 games. So he's declining. I'm not saying you're going to get the 42-goal Eric Stahl from 2018. I think you're getting, in a full 82-game season, maybe a 15 to highest 20-goal guy in a full 82-game season nowadays. But again, what I like about it is stability. It brings more stability to the lineup, more injury insurance, and just improving the bottom six. It gives you more cushion for the struggling Comfort and the struggling Jost. And Bel- Belmar is not a third-line center. He is glued to that fourth-line center spot. He's not going up or anywhere. And I would just I would feel better with a better third-line center and Comfort and Jost on the wings. I just don't think they're very good players to center a line. I just don't think we're getting enough out of it, and it could stand to be improved. And in a season like this, where you have so many contracts coming up after the season, like Makar, Landeskog, and Grubauer, I don't think you should really just overlook it and be like, ah, it'll be fine, because it might it might not be fine, and you might not have a better chance at a cup than with this roster when it's healthy, that is. So Eric Stahl could be interesting because... I think there would be a lot of teams that would be after him, and I don't know if the Avalanche can really make that pitch to Buffalo to pry him out. I think a team would be willing to give up a second-round pick and maybe plus for him, and the Avalanche don't have a second this year or next, like I mentioned. You don't you don't give up a first. I wouldn't be opposed to giving up a first at the deadline this season just because our prospect pool is so deep. This draft coming up is not very good. So your first round pick doesn't really matter all that much, especially when you just picked Bo Byram and Kale McCarr and Alex Newhook and all these guys that we've picked in our first round the last few years and all the solid prospects we have coming up the wings. Like I just don't think you really need to Hold on to that first-round pick so tightly, but don't give it away for free, obviously. I don't think Eric Stahl's worth that. But if Joe Sackick was going to make a swing-for-the-fences kind of trade, I don't know what that would be just because there's not a ton of first-round pick kind of rentals coming up, and even the ones that would be worth it are on teams that are contending themselves. I mean, the highest... I'm just looking at contracts that are expiring right now obviously there's guys with more than one year on their contract left that would that are going to be traded this offseason but I'm just looking right now at rentals because I don't think you want to complicate your expansion draft situation any further until the offseason the so the the earliest guy on the list that would even potentially be worth a first round pick is Taylor Hall and Taylor Hall even then first round pick that'd be that'd be a tough sell for anyone to give up with how he's played in Buffalo but it also could just be Buffalo no I'm notice I'm bringing up Buffalo a lot for trade talks and you look around at a lot of the guys you see expiring contracts like Tatar Hyman Landeskog's on that list but these these are guys that are not getting traded Chicago's still competing so Matthias Yanmark's probably not going anywhere Bobby Ryan is a guy that could likely be traded just because 
he has he signed a one-year deal and they'll probably just trade him for the just to let him go chase a cup if he wants to but that's not a move I would ultimately see Colorado making since they have plenty of depth down the wings obviously I don't think they would need to go out and spend any picks on a Bobby Ryan I think what they would I think ultimately what I the moves I would want this team to make is if possible, get a third-line center and push Kampfer and Jost onto the wings or down the lineup and just have a better bottom six than what you have now because I don't trust those two at center based on how they have played so far this season. And for the defense, there's not really anything you need to do. There's just so many injuries on it, and we've seen that some guys can step up if need be. But I, I don't think it would hurt to just add another guy. If you, this is this is the lowest priority on the list. But if you can, maybe just go out and add a, another sixth, seventh guy. Because with all the injuries, it just wouldn't hurt to have more proven NHL talent, even if it's on the low end. It would just put the team in a better spot, like someone better than Greg Patteron. And like he, he, Jacob McDonald, as much as we've liked him, and we're we're playing Dan Renouf right now. I mean, come on, we're pl- we are actually playing Dan Renouf. Dan Renouf has played one NHL game before this, and it was in 2016. We're actually playing Dan Renouf. That's how deep into the well we are. He's not he's not an NHL player. He's just not. He'll he'll tell you that. He's playing because there is no one else to play. So go out and find somebody if you can. There's sure to be just some sixth, seventh guy on the market that's willing to be sold at the deadline. It doesn't even like a John, like John Merrill out of Detroit. I'm I'm picking names out of hats here. Ben Hutton, John Merrill, any of those guys would just be options. Connor Carrick out of New Jersey. Any like just any of the teams that are selling, just they all of them have at least one, one guy at like a sixth or seventh spot that they'd be willing to move. Even even if for like a late pick, doesn't even have to be this year. Like they would just be happy to just give those guys away for like a fifth round pick. Next season, hey, you could go back to the go back to Patrick Nemeth, bring him back. They can retain some of that salary. That'd be interesting. Just there's so much overall, everything that I have just said in the last 25 minutes basically boils down to this team gets hurt a lot. Make trades that'll soften the blow if it happens again late in the season or in the playoffs. Get a third line center just to shore up that bottom six depth and be able to cushion some of the injuries if they happen in the top six. Find some depth defenseman somewhere that'll cushion the blow if we lose more players on the defense. And find a goalie so that we can fill the gap that's been there the entire season with Pavel Frantzos being out and to potentially fill that gap again if it happens again with Grubauer or Frantzos in the playoffs. I mean, to be fair, if Grubauer gets hurt in the playoffs, we're kind of fucked anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But it wouldn't hurt, right? Just you get, give yourself a fighting chance. So basically, this team has a lot of injuries. Soften the blow for when they eventually happen again, if they eventually happen again, because you hope they don't, but you're going to get hurt in the playoffs. Every team gets hurt in the playoffs. And while this team does have a lot of depth, they're really scratching the bottom of the barrel right now, and it just wouldn't it wouldn't hurt to have some more, I wouldn't think. And for the deadline, that's kind of it. I don't think this is going to be a very interesting deadline across the league. I mean, who's really even the the big ticket guy right now? Like, is it Taylor Hall again? Like, we've, we've seen how Taylor Hall works out and how he worked out in Arizona and now how he's working out in Buffalo. The guy's not a star. He hasn't been a star since he won the heart, and he's just, he's a guy. He's a, he's a top six player, absolutely. He, he can be a top-line player on most teams. I think if he signs anywhere but Buffalo, he's having a very good season. I don't know what he was thinking signing in Buffalo, and that's why everyone was so baffled about it at the time. 
But it's just like you look at the trade boards. Who's really like the big guy? I mean, you gotta keep your eye on Nashville. Maybe they'll make a move. Maybe when Matthias Matthias Ekholm goes out of Nashville, there's been talks about Philip Forsberg, which I doubt happens. But I just with this flat salary cap and like quarantine issues and all the questions surrounding the draft, I just don't see how a ton of moves get made. Just it's gonna be boring. I think that's ultimately what we can expect out of this draft or out of this deadline. There's just not much to really talk about with it. Because usually a month before the deadline, you start seeing like a lot of hype for it. Like this is the least hyped deadline, man, I think I, I think I've ever seen. Like Jack Eichel's not going to get traded at the deadline. You're not going to see a, a trade like that happened the big trade this season already happened that was the Pierre-Luc Dubois for Patrick Laine trade that that was the trade for this season that is the trade that when we talk about the 2021 season that's going to be the trade that we talk about no trade that's happening at the deadline is really going to have that even that close of an, I don't think any trade in the last five years has been as big as that one so that point's ultimately moot regardless but I just see the avalanche picking around the edges. Biggest need is getting a damn goalie. God forbid something happens to Grubauer, and God forbid Franco's never comes back. You can't keep playing Hunter Miska. That's what it ultimately comes down to. Get a get in some more center depth if you can, and if you can get around to it, maybe shore up some defensive depth a little bit and just prepare for more injuries. I think that's ultimately what's most important to come out of this deadline. But that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It Avs It Is podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. As always, follow me on Twitter at NHL and follow the show at Tell It Avs It Is. Follow the network at HockeyPodNet. And remember to use promo code THPN when you sign up at DraftKings Sportsbook for access to exclusive offers. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time.